right, good morning. Hey, thanks for having me. This, sir, I'll add a, to what John said. You showed up 9 a.m., it's zero degrees out, and God just loves you more than the other services. You just need to know that. Don't tell them that, but just stand on that. As you go about your week, you are actually more loved, even though that's biblically not sound. You are more loved. Um, that's a glimpse of our church in Austin. Promo videos always make everything look way cooler than it is, and I always tell our people with cameras, like, don't show an empty seat. Make it look packed. So... Uh, we're a church plant. We set up, we tear down. There's people right now driving over to start setting up down in Austin to make church happen. And we have all kinds of hiccups and things we're figuring out, but we're having so much fun. We're, I feel like we're building a plane while we're flying it. And um, God's just delivering and people are coming to church. And um, I, I get the chance to tell you about this this weekend. And you may think, cool, man, like your story, your church, another state. I don't really know anything about Austin, but you're a part of our story. And I think you'll see that today. And I want to thank you from the beginning of this message for um, how you've impacted my life and um, our church. And I want to thank John Leach in front of every single service um, and, and Chris uh, for their support of my family and the way that they have taught me the premise of what I'm going to talk about today. Um, in the weird world of ministry, it's kind of like churches are competitive, people think, and we're like rivals with each other. And that's not how Jesus designed it. It's not how he wants it to be, but it just starts to feel that way. And along the way, you meet these rare people who realize and see and then show you that we're all one church. And there's these people who care more about the kingdom than their kingdom and more about the church than their church, and your pastor is one of those people. And it's important to me that you know that because we can get into the routine of going to church and you may not even take it for granted, it just may be what you know, but you're part of a community and you have leaders who care more about the church, who will sacrifice and give and do crazy things that most people would say are foolish for the sake of the kingdom. And those are your leaders. And I say, I don't have to suck up to John, he's not my boss anymore, we're <laughs> friends and, um, and I say that to you because that's what you're a part of. And I got a front row seat for four years to see that in action through my job in the missions department. I felt like somebody just handed me this opportunity and said, hey, you're going to go be a messenger around the world on behalf of the most generous church in the world. I got to do things like sneak $25,000 into a country that's not very friendly to Christians, helping people, and we'll just leave it at that so I don't get banned from ever going back and you don't get banned from helping them. But I got to take your money and deliver it to a place that's protecting kids from sex trafficking on behalf of you. So when you come to church and you hear somebody say like, hey, if you go here, would you give here? I can say, as somebody who's seen the, the beauty of it, who's gotten the front row seat to the impact of that, you should. You should give to this church and you should invest in what you're doing because there's countries and churches and things happening all over the world because of generosity and because of people who care more about the kingdom than their kingdom. And I had this beautiful, beautiful opportunity to see this rare kingdom-minded generosity in this place. And so I want to thank you today because you're also part of a story in Austin, Texas that I'm going to tell you. Um, and I would, I would say that if I had to define my time here, what I learned here, what all my experiences jumping on planes with some of you to go to crazy places and um, sitting in messages and staff meetings and being around our leaders, uh, the, the whole thing could be summed up simply by this, living life with open hands. What open-handedness looks like when you hold life that God has given you with open hands, what that can do in this world. That's what I learned in this place. And so one of the 
great ways that John has been very open-handed is letting people get on this stage, and I'm honored to do that this weekend. And he was very open-handed to let me do that a couple years ago. None of you will remember this, but there was a series um, that I got to be a part of called You'll Be Glad You Did. And the whole premise of it was when we look back on our lives, what will we be glad that we did in our lifetime? And so they decided, the teaching team, they were going to have a youth-focused weekend, and their meeting probably went something like, hey, so let's have a youthful weekend. Let's let the youth kind of run with it. Somebody's got to preach. Who on staff looks like they could be in high school? <laughs> and so John came into my office, and uh, he said, hey, here's what this series is about, and we'd love for you to get up and, and preach. And I was blown away. I love to get to communicate the gospel, so I said, sure. And now I'm expecting, I'm kind of a loose cannon. Some of you guys know me. Like, I can say a lot of things I shouldn't say. And when I get a microphone for 35 minutes, it can be dangerous. And so I expected John would say, here's your topic. Here's a checklist of things you should say. Here's some parameters for you so you don't take our church down single-handedly in one weekend. <laughs> and uh, he said, okay, so here's your topic. You'll be glad you did, is this series. Your topic is follow Jesus, which is the most open-ended broad possible topic that you could give anyone. He's like, great. So if you need anything, let me know and just walks back out of my office. So I got a chance to tell um, why I am glad that I follow Jesus and why I think that we all will be glad looking back. And I remember that weekend distinctly. I rushed out of that last service. My dad had scored tickets to the AFC championship game. We got to see Peyton Manning play his last game in Denver before the Broncos went on to win Super Bowl 50. And I, that seems like it was 20 years ago now with the state of the Broncos, right? So that, let that be an encouragement to you this morning that we did win a Super Bowl not too long ago. Um, but that weekend was special to me. And I finished that sermon with a letter that I wrote. And the premise of the letter was myself in the present telling myself the night I decided to start walking with Jesus why I would be glad that I made that decision. And I was a college student, 19 years old, had run far, far away from God, a prodigal son, like almost to a T, other than eating with pigs. I, uh, I fit that story. And I stood in Cuba on a mission trip with a college group. I had no business being on that trip. It was irresponsible of the leaders to let me go because I was not a representative of Christ. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I just, for some reason, felt like I should go on this trip. So I watched this team in action. I watched these people in Cuba and the way that they worshiped God. And I was like, this is for real. Like I went to church as a kid and that's all good and well, but, but Jesus is real. And I feel like I need him in my life. So I stood at this bonfire and for the first time in my life, I opened my hands and I was like, all right, Jesus, I don't think you probably like me very much. I don't know that you probably have much you could do with my life from here, but I'm doing a pretty bad job of trying to find fullness on my own, and so I think I need you, and I want you in my life, and I'm just going to open my hands and see what happens. And over the past decade, I think if there's one thing I've tried to do right, it's just this, and I've done a lot of things wrong in the process, but this principle was cemented into my life by Pastor John and by this church. And it weaves through the story that leads to the church that I get to be a part of in Austin, Texas. So follow me here. Uh, I'm going to give you my rundown of the story of, of this premise through this place. So I, in college, I open my hands to Jesus, and it's kind of a back and forth of this to this, this to this. Jesus, I need you. You're in control. My life is yours. Just kidding. I want control. I want to do things my way. A couple people are laughing, and you just, you're guilty. You've done that. Okay, I'm not the only one. Thank you for making me feel better. Back and forth, back and forth. The one thing that I knew was I'm going to go for a year and serve 
around the world. I'm going to go just try this with some buddies. We're going to go serve with other organizations in different countries, and we're just going to see what it looks like to really live like this, see what Jesus could do through really messed up guys like us. So we start planning this trip, and we had all the ideas and the passion and very little on paper figured out. And we decided 2012 is the year we're going. And so a few months before 2012 was here, we realized, hey, we're going on this. And we've already had people in other countries say, hey, we're expecting you in October to be in Burundi. We'll see you then. And we're like, oh, no, we don't have a travel agent, which means we don't have plane tickets. And the other thing that we hadn't had figured out was we knew that the first place we were going to go was Haiti. The earthquake had happened recently, and we're like, we're going to go serve there. But we didn't have a contact there. And four American guys showing up to Haiti with no plan is a really, really bad idea. So we're trying to figure all this out. We're fundraising. And my dad said, hey, we've been going to this church, Jubilee, and we just met a missions pastor. His name's Jonathan Murley, super sharp guy. You guys know Murley, incredibly sharp, sometimes too sharp. Makes you feel a little like underdressed just by being at the office and he's like in a suit. Um, you should meet with Jonathan Murley. So we get connected with him and we went to Starbucks right down the street, put a business plan in front of him that we'd made on Microsoft Word about our trip we're going to take, and half of it's just speculation, like, yeah, we're going to do this while we're there. But he was impressed because he loves business plans, and so he said, um, hey, I'll help you guys. What do you need? By the end of that meeting, we had a travel agent who later told me that God must be behind what you're doing because I've never seen plane tickets at these prices to go around the world. We had a contact in Haiti to work with, Rodney and Rodas Gephardt, who are friends of yours. You support them and are friends of mine to this day. And we had a check from Jubilee, and he said, we're going to support you guys. We believe in what you're going to go do around the world, and we want to be a part of it. So that was my first impression of this church. I tell my buddies that, and they're like, who are these people? <laughs> what church is this? And we started watching John's messages, and we're like, man, someday we got to go to that place. So I find myself actually in this room for the first time a few nights before I left for that trip. And it was like God was prying my hands to stay open, to go on this trip, leave for a year, leave my family, leave comfort, don't know if I'm going to come back, don't know what's going to happen. And I sat in this room and was just like, all right, God, here's my life. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to go. My family's, they're going to be scared. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand that to you. My brother, my best friend, I'm going to hand that to you. And we went on this trip and we learned this over and over and over and over. I came back from that. My brother got married, so I was back in this room right when I got back from that trip to a girl that had been in the room that night when I was opening my hands and praying for God to just take control of, of everything. So my brother gets married. I was standing outside of those doors right after the ceremony. I see this friend of Kate's walk out, her high school friend, and I'm like, that's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. And then I'm thinking, well, I just got back from a year abroad. I haven't talked to a girl in a year. I have $300. I don't have a car. I'm living at my parents' house. I'm just going to talk to my buddies. And so I didn't say a word to her. Uh, got the chance to meet her a few weeks later, and she was very kind but not very interested in me, which is just a minor detail of the story. So we don't need to focus or dwell there. And once again, God's like, yeah, man, you have to hold your hands open with relationships. It's going to take a miracle for you. So I did. Um, but I also didn't know what I was going to do like career-wise, I did the Bible in a year. I traveled for a year, and that's about it. I don't have a Bible school degree. I've been walking with Jesus for a couple years at that point, trying to just not screw it all up. 
But I knew I wanted to be in ministry and I knew I wanted to be in missions and I wanted to, to do something to build the kingdom because I learned from these incredible people in other countries what that looks like. So you heard the story from John. They, were, they just hired me, took a, took a leap of faith, very open-handed decision, and they hired me. And I walked into this room. The offices were here at the time. All right, God, this is my first gig in ministry. This is my first job out of college, working at a church. Never thought I'd be here. Don't know why these guys are taking this risk. Please don't let me screw this up. And if I can help, if I could do something, use me. And for four years, I had the chance to be in staff meetings and listen to messages in this room and jump on planes with some of you and watch you open your hands and take leaps of faith to see God use you somewhere else in this world. And I, I got this front row seat of learning this posture from you. And months after that, um, that wedding, I also sat in this room with that high school friend of Kate's who God had started to miraculously move her mind somehow. So she was sitting next to me in a church service. We were starting to hang out and I was, I was thinking, God, if the two of us end up together, every single one of my friends will believe that you're real. <laughs> the testimony that you could write, it could, it could change the scope of lives, this miracle. But I did feel him say that day, hold her with open hands. Don't try to grab this. Don't try to control this. Don't choke the life out of this. So easy for you to get to this posture. Stay like this. So I tried and tried, and a year later, Pastor John married Stephanie and I. And we actually have our first kid coming on the way in two months, a little boy. And to everybody who, while I worked here, asked me for the first year or so while I was here, when are you going to get married? I did that. And then from there, when you continually ask me every day, when are you going to have kids? Now I did that. So you can rest easy at night knowing that your, your dreams have been fulfilled. Since, and I don't have an answer to when we're going to have the next one. I know that's your next question, but we're, we haven't had the first one. So just spare me that, please. Um, so I had this incredible experience. And uh, it didn't make a lot of sense when John gave me more opportunity to, to leave a place that is so special to me, a room that is so special to me, people that are so special to me. Everything on paper was really good for me. I had this amazing job, amazing church. And this stirring came back for me and my buddies to go plant this church and, and do things that we dreamed of doing back in college when nobody would have ever thought that any of us would be pastors. And a lot of them still, I think, don't believe that we're pastors. Water break. Last night, I, uh, for some reason, just refused to drink water and just started to lose my voice. So cheers to, cheers to today. <laughs> so... The only thing I knew to do with this dream that I had with my buddies was tell these guys and hold it with open hands because that's what I'd learned from them. And of course, their response was, how can we help? What can we do? Because that's the church you're a part of. So I transitioned off of staff and we didn't really have a clear plan at that point what it was going to look like. We just knew we're going to go try this and um, do some work in between. I was in this room for my last staff meeting. My brother organized a roast of me for my last staff meeting. Yeah, that was special. That was really nice of him. And, uh, but I walked out of this room again, just like, all right, God, here we go. I keep just seeing other people do this, so I'm going to try. And uh, over the course of some conversations, my buddy Doug, who was working at Red Rocks Church close by, he had a similar conversation. And 
an idea was dreamed up to go launch a church out of Red Rocks Church, kind of with similarities to what happened with Shine Church, launching a church out of your church. And so Doug said, hey, I have a buddy and my brother, and I want them on my team if we do this. And he's, they said, okay, and where do you want to go? And we said, San Diego. And everybody said, of course you do. Great. Go suffer for God, you heroes. <laughs> and, um, and like John said, we went to San Diego, and it was awesome, but we just didn't feel peace that that was the place. And then we went to Austin. It intrigued us for some reason. And while we were there, God just gave us peace. There wasn't some audible voice or clouds parting and go to Austin. It was just like, this is, this is our spot. We say that if Denver and Boulder, the two cities that we come from, if they had a baby in the South, it would be Austin, Texas. And we felt like we fit there. Like the culture is similar. We speak the language. We get kind of what's going on here. It's growing like crazy, just like Denver. There's millennials moving here like crazy, just like Denver. And this, this culture lines up. And ultimately what we saw is that, you know, you think of Texas and you're like, cool, another church in Texas. Don't they have a church on every street corner? Almost, pretty much in most places. But Austin is the one city that's not, you don't go to church as a way of life. You're not a Christian because you're a Texan because you're an American. It's not something that you have to do. And a lot of people who have grown up in legalism and been told that God's mad at them and want nothing to do with church because they've been burned by religion and never really been introduced to Jesus, they go to a place like Austin because they can get away from that. And we thought, hey, we're those prodigals, just like them. We could speak that language. We know what it's like to feel far from God, to assume that he's mad at us, that he wants nothing to do with us. So maybe if we go tell these people who Jesus really is and introduce them to him, we could be a part of something great in this city. And we've, we've met some incredible churches down there that are, that are doing that. And we get to plug into what God's already been doing in that city. And so we made that decision. And this, this is like a highlight, you know, decade. It sounds really great. And it has been. It's also been really hard. And a lot of times opening your hands in the difficult is where God meets you. We all want to be close to God, but we want it on our terms and when things are easy. But sometimes it's when we open our hands and it's really hard. When you're packing up a U-Haul and you're moving your wife away from all your family and all your friends and everything comfortable, when you walk out of a church that's treated you so well, that's given you so many opportunities, and you just walk out like this, and it's in those moments that the Spirit really is our comforter. Sometimes we're so comfortable that it's hard for the Spirit to comfort us. And in those moments, packing up that U-Haul, it was like, all right, here we go. And I have stories of guys like John that are urging me on, hey, you can go do this. Some people have gone before you and look what's happened because of the fruit of them living with open hands. And so we made that decision and we went. And there's people that decided to make that decision alongside us, people who were crazy enough to move um, just to get a job and help our church start down in Austin. And, and what I've seen, the point of all this, of this story and what this place has cemented into my life, this posture, what I realize when I think about it is that our posture towards life is dependent upon how we perceive God's posture to be towards us. I'll say that again. Our posture towards life is dependent upon how we perceive God's posture to be towards us. So I'll illustrate that through, there's a parable of the talents, and I talked about this last night, and then Dan DeMay was here, and he's like, so there's a similar parable, and there's some differences. This is the parable of the talents in the book of Matthew, and there are some differences between these two stories and a lot of similarities, but this is the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. And um, it's the story of a master 
who leaves to go on a trip. And while he's gone, he entrusts his servants with some money of his. And the first thing that's interesting that I, I notice and I want you to pay attention to is this master has a ton of money. Talents are a measurement of how much money he has. He has a lot. So he doesn't need to do this necessarily. Like he could just store his money, go on his trip, come back, and he's fine. For some reason, the master chooses to trust his servants with what he has while he's gone. Okay? So he gives one of them five talents, one of them two, one of them one, goes on his trip, and he comes back to check in on them and see, hey, how'd you do? The guy with the five says, hey, you gave me five, I made five more. And he says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The next guy comes up. You gave me two, and I made two more. And he says the exact same thing back to him. The message translation of the same thing. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. And if you've heard this story before, you're starting to cringe for the last guy. He's like the bad guy of the story, unfortunately, and the one that a lot of times we relate best to. The guy that got one, he comes back and, and he says, this is the message, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. So he just buried it, did nothing. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum of the bankers where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the money, give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. Very uplifting ending to that story for you here on your nine o'clock, zero degree Sunday morning. <laughs> we make this story about that guy pretty much every time we read it, how he didn't do what the master wanted him to do. And, and we're all kind of like, yeah, but he didn't lose it. Like, was that that bad? You're going to throw him out into utter darkness? I probably would have maybe just done that. Like, well, I don't want to screw this up, so maybe I'll just do this, right? And we make the story about that guy, the play it safe, but, and we make the story about money, and that's not the point today of this story either. It's about life and how we operate with the master. It's about the posture of the master and ours towards him. See, as I've been reading through this, I, I noticed something interesting. We kind of read that story, and Jesus tells it about the kingdom of heaven, and if the master of the kingdom of heaven is Jesus, then we read that and we're like, well, I don't really like this Jesus. It doesn't sound like the Jesus that I know. But the story is really told from the perception of the servants. They all act out of their perception of the posture of their master. See, we always focus on the one guy and pay little attention to the other two who are actually the majority. And those two guys, for some reason, felt the freedom to risk with what he gave them. They went out and said, okay, he's, a, he's an open-handed master. He gave me something. I'm going to go make more with it. And it's interesting to me that the last guy only gets one talent while the other two get more, and maybe he was not as close to the master. So maybe he wasn't as trusted, or maybe he didn't know the master nearly as well, and so his perception of the posture was this harsh, angry master, while the other two guys went and made more with what he gave them. Our posture is determined by how we perceive God's to be towards us. 
And a lot of the times, I think this is how we think God looks at us. Arms crossed, disappointed. Great job. Screwed it up again. Great job. Well done. Or we think that God's grabbing from us and taking and withholding. I don't want you to have fun. I don't want you to have the life you want. Stop screwing up. Or worse, and like this guy, a lot of times I think we think God's got his fist clenched, ready to smack us in the face if we screw up. That's how this guy perceived his master to be, and so he just naturally went like this. And I think we can all relate to that because we do that in our relationship with God all the time. Oh, no, that's probably me. I'm probably like that guy. He's probably harsh. He's probably angry, and my posture is determined because I think that's how God is towards me, but that's not the posture of God at all. Even in creating us, don't you think that God has a pretty open-handed posture just by creating to share in his glory and then letting us choose to have relationship with him? Like the whole Old Testament is, is God going, all right, up to you guys. You can obey me. You can be my kingdom. And they just stray away and stray away. And God lets that play out and lets them see the consequences of when they walk away. And then he restores and he holds them with open hands and says, hey, you're my kingdom. Are you guys going to walk with me? And they walk away, and then he restores and restores. And ultimately, the restoration comes through Jesus. What's most important when we think about God's posture towards us is that we recognize that the best picture we have of the posture of God is Jesus. It's the most relatable thing that God could have done to send himself so that he could show us his posture in our terms. So Jesus walks around every day, and he's like, come to me. Come to me, come to me. My kingdom is here for you. Come to me. You're weary, you're lost, you're broken, you're forgotten. Come to me, come to me. And the culmination of his ministry and of his life, the Good Friday Easter story is the greatest picture of open-handedness that the universe shall ever know. I would break it into the three phases of kind of the night and the next day, the cup, the cross, and then forward to the church. Jesus sits at dinner with a group of guys, his friends, his disciples, and he shares in dinner with them, and then he prays for them. And in John 17, this caught me. At the Last Supper, he prays, I desire that they also may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. When you created them open-handedly, God, your desire was for them to share in my glory, and I want that, whatever it takes. I want that to be possible. And he's praying that for a room full of guys, one of whom is about to go sell him out to be killed. One of whom's going to deny him. A room full of guys, who, while Jesus is holding them like this, holding his own life like this, they're all about to go like this. And yet his desire is that they and we would share in his glory. So then he goes and prays in the garden and he says, take this cup, yet not what I will, but what you will. He holds it his life with open hands. He says, Father, your will be done at whatever cost to me. And when they come to arrest him, Peter tries to fight back. And Jesus looks at him and says, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Like that, he's saying, Peter, this is our posture now. Whatever God's will is for this world to share in the glory that he has, this is our posture towards that. And then he goes and they question him, they interrogate him, they mock him. And it's Jesus. He holds all the power of the universe in his hand. He could get out of that. And he just goes like this. Doesn't fight back. Goes up a hill and gives us the ultimate picture of open-handedness. Your hands have to be wide open to be crucified. So whenever you doubt 
God's posture towards you, remember this posture. That is his picture of his posture towards you. And our lives should be lived out of the realization that he opened his hands to be crucified for us. That's the hands that he holds towards us. He's not going like this. He's going like this. And then Jesus does something real crazy, which would be that he conquers death, he rises from the dead, walks out of a tomb. That's crazy. But then he says to his disciples, those guys that he held with open hands and prayed for, who all went like this and ran away, he gathers them back up and says, hey, the church, it's in your hands now. The master says to his servants, to his disciples, he says, hey, here's your kingdom currency. Go make something with it while I'm gone. Go make more of this kingdom currency while I'm gone. To a group of guys that we all would have thought, man, you get, get some new disciples, <laughs> right? And Jesus trusts, open-handed, holds the church, hands it to them and to us, and says, hey, here's my spirit. Now go make more of this kingdom in this world. Here's your currency. And the cool thing that starts to happen with the disciples, and hopefully in our lives, and I see it in people like Pastor John, is you start to live this way enough, and soon this natural motion starts where you receive from God kingdom currency. I'm talking like joy, peace, patience, kindness, love. I'm talking currency from God. You start to receive that stuff, and soon your posture can move to bless. And this distance is a heck of a lot shorter than this distance. That distance is instrumental into how our lives are used to build the kingdom. Are we ready to receive from God whatever he has for us? Because we know his posture and then use whatever he gives us to bless. So that could be in relationships, talking resources, put money aside. Let's talk about time. Do we hold our time like this or like this? Our opinions, our ideas, fears, worries, doubts, anxieties, things that we don't know what to do with and we just start to go like this and back away and isolate and say, I'll, I'll just figure this out on my own. And God's going, no, 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 you gotta hold that like this for me to work with. What about our dreams, visions, callings, ideas, things that we think, man, this is crazy, but maybe I just go. And we hold that with open hands and God says, okay, I can work with that. I don't need you to be perfect. I already took care of that. I just need you to have open hands. Just be willing. Like that's the only thing I think that me and my buddies have done right in this process of starting a church is just, all right, God, here we go. We're open-handed. We're open-handed with your kingdom currency to what you have. We, we started this year in a series and it was rooted around Ephesians 3.20 that says, now to him who is able to do more than we possibly ask or imagine in the middle of a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians. And what I've realized this week is that a lot of times ask or imagine to us is like, I don't really ask or imagine much because we're just like this. We're not ready to ask or imagine for something that God could do so much more than. And there's a picture um, for me, and I hope you have a picture in your life or that you'll go make one. My picture of Ephesians 3.20 looks like this. This is our church. It's a room full of people that I get to stand in the midst of, that I get to hear their stories. I get to help lead this community, remembering myself as a guy at a bonfire saying, God, I don't think you like me. I don't know what you could ever possibly do with this life, but I'm open. And watching God weave this idea through people 
like your pastor in places like your church has taught me over and over to just try to do this. And now we've got this room full of people and they're all starting to do that. I'll tell you a couple quick stories. There's a couple, um, Tyler and Laura. They moved from Southern California to Austin to, to get jobs and just help support our church, to just make this possible. And they had it good in Southern California. In the midst of this, Laura got pregnant and she lives with a disease, so it was a high-risk pregnancy. They moved to Austin. They buy this house that is a nightmare. All these things weren't disclosed. It would make you cry if you walked through the first day they got there and saw all the renovations that they didn't know they needed to do, how much money it was going to cost them. So we sat down and interviewed them to tell their story to our church. And they start t- they're telling us the story, and we all kind of knew it, and then they're going into more detail. And by the end of it, we're all looking at them like, why are you still here? What, what is wrong with you guys? And Tyler said about their daughter who's now been born, Grace, he said, we don't want to tell Grace the story of why we turned back someday. We want to tell her the story of why we stayed. Th- these people just went like this, and it's been really, really hard, and their story's already blessing other people to take risks, to not play it safe. Their daughter's going to be dedicated next week at our first child dedication ever at our church. There's a girl named Summer who, a couple years ago, opened her hands and went on a mission trip that I led to Haiti. And so Stephanie and I became friends with her through the trip. And um, when she heard about Red Rocks Austin a couple years after that trip and that we were going to do this, she just decided to come. So she got a job in Austin, found a place, didn't know anyone, and just moved. So a few days ago, I'm talking to this guy at one of our just hangout events, and I'm like, so I always want to ask new people and grab them, like, how'd you get here? Why are you here? What's the story that got you into this room? So I asked him, hey, what brought you to our church? And he says, well, you know Summer, because everybody knows Summer. He said, I work with her at the restaurant that she got a job at, and she just wouldn't stop inviting all of us to the launch when you launched your church. And I figured if this girl moved from another state and she's so excited and she invites me, I might as well go the first week so I don't have to listen to her keep inviting me because then I can say I already did it. This guy didn't want anything to do with God. He didn't want to go to church, hadn't been in so long, had been burned by religion. And he's been back every single week since with his wife and his kid. And he said, and this is, this is the kind of stuff that you just know it's just God. He said when he was in worship at the first service, he felt connected to God in a way he never had before. Just by walking in that room, some girl opening her hands to invite. And then he opens his hands and shows up. And now he's bringing one of their coworkers with him. There's a girl named Amy that uh, is one of our volunteers. And we had uh, last week a really powerful week. Doug preached about shame. And I saw her after, and I could just see the look on her face. It was like she got hit by a bus in a good way, if that's possible. Um, I've got to rethink that phrase for next sermon. (laughs) That doesn't quite work. Um, So I asked her, hey, what happened on Sunday night? She texted me this. Shame was always something that made me shrink. I let how people hurt me control so much of my life because I blamed myself. I believed it was something I would have to carry my whole life. This week's sermon woke something in my heart, and I understood I could make the conscious decision to stop and just drop the pain. I realized that God had released me long ago, but I hadn't released myself from shame. Declaring, it is finished, I am enough, lifted so much weight off of my shoulders. Instead of shrinking, I feel overwhelmed with passion to run towards God. I feel like I can brag about these stories to you because 
They're, they're stories that aren't possible without God. I can't take credit for them. All I know how to do is just try to do this and start to do this motion in my life. And I feel like I can brag about this to you because Jubilee, this is your legacy. This is a story that you're woven into. You're part of the foundation of our church in Austin, people that you don't know, faces that you see in this room that you may never know on this side, but you're part of this story. Through my life, through my friends' lives, through teaching us a principle of living with open hands and turning them to bless. And I just wanna thank you. I wanna thank John and have him come up here as he's closing out um, the service. I wanna thank him as your leader uh, as a representation of my gratitude to all of you for what you've done for my life and what you're doing in so many places in the world to build the kingdom. And that includes Austin, Texas. So thank you. Good job. Okay. Um, Here's what happened last night when I said that the Lord spoke to me while he was teaching that message. I was sitting over there where I usually do, and um, I heard the Lord say, give him the offering. And I said, that's what we're doing. We're going to take an offering for him. And I felt the Lord tell me again, give him your offering. I said, God, we're not in a position to give him our offering. I'm doing something good already. And in a split second, the story of Elijah and Joash. Joash needs God to do something great on their behalf, and it's Elisha's last miracle. Joash goes to the man of God, and he says, calls him father. He says, Father, we need God. We need a miracle. And Elisha says, take your bow. And Elisha puts his hands on the king's hands, and they stretch the bow back and shoot an arrow. It shoots out the window a certain distance, and Elisha goes, as this arrow has flown, so God is going to lead you and do a miracle for you. And then he gives him one more instruction to see his obedience. He says, take your arrows and strike them on the ground. Anybody remember this story? It's an obscure story in the Bible. And the king takes his arrows and he only strikes three times. One, two, three. And the man of God is furious with him. He says, you didn't have the faith to keep striking. He said, so God's going to let you win three battles but you'll lose the war. And if you'd have kept striking, God would have done something on your behalf because of your act of faith that is seldom seen in your day. And I was sitting right there when the Lord said it, and it reminded me of that story. And he just asked, how many times do you want to strike the ground right now? What do you need me to do for you? This church, listen to my words. We have no right to exist in perpetuity just because we're here. We only exist because God can use this church to do things in his kingdom. Does that make sense? And if me, I won't even say you, but me as a pastor, if I ever get to the point where I can't live like this, then I'm no longer needed or useful as the pastor to lead this church. It's not a great time for us to do this, but it doesn't seem like God ever does things like this when it's a perfect time to do it. It's always about faith, isn't it? You don't need to do anything. There's no arm twisting here. I'll explain anything that's undesignated. So if you came prepared to give towards a mission trip that you're going on, I'm not taking that money. But whatever you give in the offering, your tithe, whatever you just want to give, I believe we're supposed to give to this church that has no way to ever give it back to us. And that's not what it's about anyway. 
It's just simply, when I started this church, God gave me this sentence. You will strategically plant churches so the maximum number of people can taste the bread of life. We've done it all around the world. Last night, there was this thing that hit my heart. It was very emotional. Now I'm doing it after having slept on it and thought about it and what it really means. Um, I didn't check with my board first. Uh, my business administrator, I think he fainted last night when I, when I said it. Uh, the bottom line is, it's just, it's what our church has done the whole time. Uh, we have not tried to build Taj Mahals to ourselves and to our name. We've tried to keep ourselves in a position where God could just simply use us whenever it was necessary. And if that meant feeding someone who needed to be fed and clothing someone who needed to be clothed or cutting someone's yard or helping to build churches or start organizations, orphanages all over the world, this church has tried to use that. I never make it a huge deal because I never make it about like what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I just want to be like this. That's it. I perceive God's posture like this towards me, and I want to live my life like that. And to have these stories, folks, it's not to make Jubilee famous. It's to make the name of our God famous. Hear me. And if you're uncomfortable with that, okay, you don't have to do anything. But if you hear me right now, Help me open our hands and be a blessing. Um, if you want to give, you can do it in person. You could do it at the offering boxes. Online, here's what we've set up. Um, jfc.org slash give, like you were just going to give online. There's a little drop-down box that we've put on the website that says Red Rocks Church Austin. Red Rocks Church Austin. So if you want to do something that way, you can do it that way. But I just felt the Lord tell me to give the offering. I wrestled with him for about two or three minutes over there. But my whole life has been about this. When God tells me to do it, I've learned not to talk myself out of it. I've learned to simply say, I'll do it, and I'll walk in faith. And if you think that's a crazy way to go, I'm 55. It's been a pretty crazy way to go for sure. But here I am, and here we are, and I never want to change that. As long as I'm pastor, that's the way I want to lead our church. I want to be able to say yes to God when he tells me to do something. And if you'd like to help us do it, that'd be awesome. And uh, either way, Ethan will be out in the foyer if you'd like to talk to him a little bit more. Um, if you want to pray about it, you can pray about it. You can talk it over once you get home. Uh, I don't want you to feel manipulated in any way, shape, or form. I want you to really do it because you want to live your life this way and not this way. A long time ago, I just got sick of being afraid and living my life this way. I don't want to live that way. This is the way to live life. If you're like in that place where life is just survival, I bet you're doing this. And you can't get out of it doing this. God can move when you do this. Does that make... So Lord, just bless this. And thank you for Ethan. And thank you that you're alive in our church. Bless our people now as they travel home. Protect them and keep them, keep them safe. God, I'm really thankful for this group of people. I'm really thankful. And I'm thankful for your blessing on us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great weekend.